0: Hi, my name's Chamila, and this is my story of grace. I'm a junior at Texas A&M. I grew up Buddhist in a Buddhist family. My parents grew up in Sri Lanka and moved to the States to to get their higher education degrees. I grew up in that way, going to temple regularly, and then I came to A&M. I hadn't ever spoken about Buddhism to anyone. I just um, had a lot of questions about The pain I saw in the world, I I realized that if there was a God, I couldn't imagine us being a proper representation of Him with our selfishness and our pride and the way we hurt others and and the way we are hurt. That's where I was when I was walking on campus one day and I saw a Gideon man. He was handing out New Testaments. I remember, I actually remember this, putting it immediately in my pocket because I didn't want anyone to see that I had taken it. I just went back to my dorm room and started reading Matthew. And that's when I learned about Jesus and just what his purpose was and the solution to all these problems I had seen and what it was called, which is sin. I I found through these past 14 months that just to know him and to to get to experience these characteristics of himself that be found perhaps in slivers in a human being but in him are so just full and deep and are accessible to me at any time that I since I know him and I can pray to him. I felt his comfort in multiple ways I would say. He's really comforting me through his word and through grace. Um, The community here I love Grace College. I love going there and I love sermons and the people. I've been blessed in the comfort he's provided. When I think about it my first thought would be how he's Completely changed my life. I never thought I would be a Christian. Like I never, it was. I was very detached to the idea growing up. It's crazy to think that I attend church and love reading the Bible and just know Him and pray. And there's so many things I just never thought would happen. Once again, my name's Shamela, and I've experienced grace.
1: Let's pray. Father. Father, we thank you for the experience of grace of your unconditional love and acceptance for us in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that uh, that message would never grow old to us. I pray that even this morning it would be fresh and new, and you'd fill our hearts with gratitude. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Begin this morning in Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, but first, I want to tell you a story. Have you ever uh, received a gift that you said to yourself, "Wow, that's just that's over the top." You know, that's that's far beyond what I expected or imagined. You ever receive a gift like that and you're just, you're, you're you're almost stunned to silence. You don't know how to respond. You're grateful, but you don't know what to say. Uh, I, I got a gift like that this week. Uh, there's a story to this table. Okay, here's the story. I'm gonna tell you a story. Um, when we did, started the Saturday night service a couple years ago, I started speaking from a high top table and I really liked it because I have space, you know, I can spread things out and you know, if I want, I could have a cup of coffee here and all kinds of stuff It'd be really, you know, it's just like being at home know, uh, you're with me in my home with my coffee and, and, So I wanted to speak from one of these, but I couldn't find one. And uh, so my assistant, Susan Breedlove, started looking. And she went to furniture stores, and she'd bring back pictures. And I'd say, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. She got online, and she sent me links to websites. I go, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And finally, I said, you know, I want uh, what my friend Greg has in Houston. I want exactly that. That's what I want. And um, so uh, we called down to Houston, to their church and found out that his table was custom-made by a family in the church. I was like, ugh, so you can't buy that table. Sorry, there's only one of them. doesn't exist. However, the family might be willing to make you a table. So we called. Uh, Gary and Fred and a called them, and they said, sure, come on down. And so I went down, and uh, I picked out the wood that I want. It's cherry wood, and they measured me, and uh, they began building this table. And I just went down and, and picked it up, last week. It's, it's handmade. There, uh, there are no nails in this table. It's just glue and wooden pegs. That's how they make them. There's not another table like this in the entire world. My table's not just like Greg's. It's my table. It's not his table. <laughs> and um, so when I got down there, the, the Manny's got the table for me. And I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's got a plaque on the bottom um, commemorating uh, their, their gift to me of this table and their prayer that God would be glorified as his word is spoken from it. And after I picked up the table, then they handed me a book which uh, chronicles in pictures and descriptions the, um, the entire process of them making this table. So they handed me a book, chronicling the whole thing, beginning to end. And then uh, Gary said, well, I had a few scraps of wood left over and so I made you a clock. From the same wood. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know what to say. Ever receive a gift like that? You just go, wow. Thank you. Thank you. As I was loading it up and driving back from Houston this week, I thought, I have an opening illustration. (laughs) This is a great illustration of what God has done for us. The gift of Jesus Christ. It's over the top. It's beyond what we could even ask for or imagine. Isaiah describes it in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. What is it that God has to offer us? Well, Isaiah puts it in figurative language. He says God offers us water, not literal water. But metaphorically, water, which is life or spiritual life, which is a very appropriate metaphor because physically we need water to live. We must have it. People in the ancient Near East really understood this because they lived in a very dry and arid land. If the rains didn't come, then the crops wouldn't grow. And if the crops didn't grow, they had nothing to eat. Their livestock had nothing to eat. Their livestock would die. Their cisterns wouldn't fill with water. They would run out of water and they would eventually themselves die. Remember, they're surrounded by desert everywhere. In the nation of Israel, there's just one small lake and one small river and then salt water on the other side. They had to have water from God, a gift from the heavens, and it had to come consistently or they would not survive. They would not live. And so God says, metaphorically, I give you water. I give you that which you most need. I give you life. This is life. Now, interestingly, if you look back in Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah makes this analogy specific. Isaiah 44, verse 3. The Lord speaking through Isaiah says this, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land. And streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That is, I'm not speaking simply of literal water, but metaphorically, spiritually, of the water which is my spirit, and I will give my spirit to you. Now, remember, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of God's story in the Bible, Adam and Eve were actually living in perfect fellowship with God. If you can imagine, uh, their spirit was united with God's spirit. When God spoke, they listened. They wanted to hear what God had to say. They could hear what God had to say. And there was no conflict within them. They They weren't torn, right? Like we're often torn. Part of us wants to do what God says. Part of us wants to go our own way. Adam and Eve weren't experiencing that. All that they wanted to do was hear the voice of God, and when they heard it, they wanted to obey, and they did obey, and they could obey. That is spiritual life. Their spirit united with God's spirit. But the moment that they said no to God, and they rebelled against God, they experienced what is called spiritual death. That is the separation of their spirit from God's spirit. It wasn't that they no longer had a spirit. It's that their spirit was now operating independently from God. They couldn't hear his voice in the same way and they didn't want to hear his voice in the same way. And when they did hear his voice, there was a conflict within them. Part of them wanted to obey and part of them wanted to continue on their own. That was spiritual death. It was separation. And the inevitable consequence of that spiritual separation was physical suffering and eventually death. The reason there is death in the world is because of sin. Sin entering into the world. What God offers us is to fix that, to put his spirit within us once again so that his spirit is reunited with our spirit. That's the first stage, in a sense, in God's redemption plan. Once our spirit is reunited with God's spirit, we have the hope one day that also our body will be resurrected and glorified and we will be one. We will be a, a unity, so to speak, within ourselves. No more conflict raging within us, and we, be in, we will be in perfect fellowship with God. That is what God offers us when he says, I offer you water, I offer you life. Now, Christ picked up the same theme, used the same imagery, the same analogy. In John chapter 4, remember the story, uh, let me give you a little background here. John chapter 4, Jesus is walking through Israel, and he's passing from the north to the south, and as he does so, He takes the shortest route, which is through Samaria, which is unusual. Jews didn't have relationships with Samaritans. They were very racist in that respect, so they went far around. Samaritans were half-breed, part Jewish, part something else. Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them, so they usually take the long route, go around Samaria to get from Galilee to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus goes straight through Samaria. He takes the short route, and he stops in a city in Samaria. He sits down by a well. He's thirsty, and a woman walks up. And he begins to engage her in dialogue. He asks her for a drink, which totally throws her off. First, because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Second, because a Jewish rabbi doesn't talk to a woman. So he asks her for water and she steps back and says, Why are you talking to me? How is it that you, being a Jew and a man, are talking to me, a Samaritan and a woman? And Jesus makes this statement. It says, Jesus answered and he said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus just bends her mind. Okay, He totally bends her mind. She thinks that he's talking about getting a drink of water. And he says, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? If you understood who it is who's sitting here that just said, give me a drink, you'd stop worrying about this water. you just come here day after day, you drink and you're thirsty. You drink and you're thirsty. You just have to keep coming back over and over and over again. I want to give you a kind of water so that you'll never thirst again. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? He says, what I'm talking about is eternal life. The, The real water that you actually need the free gift of eternal life. That's water. Now, if you'll notice in the book of Isaiah, he goes on, chapter 55, verse 1. The Lord offers not just water. It says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's not just water that is set on the table but as Jesus prepares this feast the table is filled with water with wine and with milk wine and milk being a symbol of God's abundance if you look in the prophet Joel Joel describes the the millennial kingdom God's eternal kingdom and what's going to transpire on earth when God establishes his kingdom and he says this in that day the day that the Lord establishes his kingdom on earth the mountains will drip with sweet wine, the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water. That is, wine and milk are symbols of abundance. They're symbols of superabundance, of an absolute lack of scarcity. There's nothing lacking. There is wine and milk sitting on the table. God doesn't just offer you life, He offers you abundant life, which is joy and peace and patience and self-control and kindness. He offers you the fullness of his spirit even when you are struggling and stressed in life and feeling overwhelmed by its circumstances, the power of God dwelling in you to make life rich and full and satisfying and peaceful. God says, I'm offering you life and life that is abundant. Now again, Jesus picks up that same theme as well. John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is the adversary, Satan. He just wants to ruin your life, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full, that they might have abundant life. Isaiah says, this is the gift that God has to offer you. Life that lasts forever and life that is full and rich and satisfying and meaningful. That is all that you were designed to be and experience, God offers to you and you can't find it in any place else. If you had a really wonderful gift, who would you want to give it to? If you had a really wonderful possession, who would you loan it to? That's often a test for me in my heart. Who would you loan something to that you you really care about this possession? Who would you want to give it to? Well, probably someone who's worthy of it, right? Who will take good care of this possession that you have. If you're actually going to give it away and it's very valuable to you, you're going to give it to a friend or a family member, someone that you really, really love and trust. Who does God give this wonderful gift to? He gives it to all of us. People who are absolutely untrustworthy and undeserving of the gift. Look with me again. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, and without cost. To whom does God offer the gift? Well, two descriptions. The same person. It's not two different people. Those who are thirsty and those who are poor. It says, come everyone who thirsts and you who have no money. Come. Come to the table. Uh, you who are thirsty, that is a metaphor, for you who recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt... That you are in need of what God has to offer and that you cannot find it for yourself. Those of you who have no money, you're poor. You recognize that there's nothing that you can bring in your hands to make you worthy of a relationship with God. You come offering nothing. You come just to receive. That is who God offers it to. Not to those who are worthy, to those who will care for the gift well, but to those who are absolutely unworthy of the gift. He says, come. Every single one of you, come. In Romans chapter 3, Paul describes all of us like this. He says, There is none righteous, there's not even one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves in those terms, do we? We like to think of ourselves as at least adequate in some respect, at least deserving in some respect. Uh, God, I'm sure that you pick out the cream of the crop and that's why you've offered it to me. But Romans tells us, no, if you look at mankind relative to the absolute holiness of God, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none who actually really genuinely seeks after God. All of us have fallen short and God says, it is to these people that I offer my absolutely free gift. It's to you. There is none righteous, not even one, but those are the ones that God makes the offer to. Now, third question for us this morning. What does it really cost? Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine, come, buy milk, without money and without cost. The cost of the recipient's is absolutely nothing. Okay? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Come buy it without money. Come buy it without cost. It costs the recipient nothing because, for the simple reason that the recipient has nothing that God needs. We, the recipients, have nothing that God needs. He's the one who has made all things. There's nothing really that we can give back to Him that He didn't create and put into our lives. We don't bring anything. God needs nothing from us. In other words, we need to come and we need to buy, but we don't possess the right currency ourselves, right? If I can put it in an earthly analogy, I remember when I was uh, living for a short time in Eastern Europe, I got to travel a little bit between European countries. And uh, it was a very frustrating thing because as you move from country to country to country, at the time, there there there's no euro. So every time you went into a new country, you had to go to the exchange booth, you had to get New money, different kind of money, you had to make an exchange, so pretty soon your pockets are filled with all kinds of different currency that you're trying to keep straight, they didn't accept Czech crowns in Germany, and so I'm always changing money, doing this kind of thing, and remember, the the European countries, they're they're smaller than the state of Texas, right, so here we, we drive for miles, we're still in Texas, so we can still use Texan money, and we're okay, right? But there you're moving from country to country to country to country within hours. And you find yourself reaching in your pockets and you don't have the right currency. You can't make the purchase. God is saying you don't have the right currency to make this purchase of water that gives eternal life. What is the currency? He says the currency is this. Come. The currency is just, just come. Which is an analogy for faith. Come with nothing in your hands. Come, knowing you're thirsty. Just come. Come to me. Not offering anything, but just believing. Remember, this is the big idea of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's name means, if you remember from our beginning point, Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. Isaiah's name means the Lord saves. It is synonymous with Jesus' name, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. And Isaiah's point is this, there is salvation in no one else. Only the Lord saves. So come, stop looking to foreign alliances, stop looking to idols, stop looking to anything else that you think can save you or bring your life richness and value or rescue you from evil. Nothing else can save you, only the Lord saves. So, so come, come to the Lord. Again, let me take you back to Jesus' words. I think that Jesus knew the book of Isaiah because he uses the same imagery. Chapter 7, he says, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, and the point is we're all thirsty, only some of us know it, but if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What does he mean? He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. Jesus says to come and to drink means this. It means to believe. And Paul would put it in very academic terms. He would say to the one who does not work but believes. That one, God says, you can have a relationship with me. To the one who stops trying to work and participate in what God has done fully through Jesus Christ but instead believes, that's the one who comes and receives. That's the one who comes and drinks freely of the water of life. And Jesus says to us, come, and then rivers of living water will flow up within you. It will be like, he says, like a, like a spring, a natural spring that's bubbling forth, giving life to you, giving life to those around you. Come and drink, and waters will flow from you. Now, years ago, there was a, a parable that was told about uh, an ancient king, and this ancient king was, uh, he was very powerful, but he was also very impatient. He wanted to understand his kingdom better. He wanted to understand how things were working with his kingdom, so he gathered his economists. Okay? All of his economists gathered together, and he said to them, I want you to tell me how my nation works, and I want you to get to the point. Be brief. Okay? State for me, in an understandable and brief way, How my nation works. So the economists all gathered together. They went off and they created uh, 87 volumes of 600 pages each and brought them to the king. And the king was uh, enraged and he executed half of them. And he said, now the other half of you go off and I want you to explain for me in simple terms how my nation works. And so they went off and they came back and they brought again volume after volume of explanation. So he executed half of them. And this went on time after time after time. And finally, there was only one economist left. Okay, one economist was left, and he came back, and uh, he made this statement. He said, sire, in eight words, I will reveal to you all the wisdom that I have distilled through all these years from all the writings of all the economists who once practiced their sciences in your kingdom. Here it is. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Okay? (laughs) There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And I had had a professor who uh, loved that story, and he loved that phrase. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. You can't get something for nothing in this world. Life just doesn't work that way. And, and I confess, I am largely a believer in that statement. I'm training my kids to share my, my cynicism right now. You know, they're sitting, they're watching the TV, and... Uh, a commercial is on, and they go, Daddy, 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 you got to come, you got to see this, you got to see this. This is absolutely amazing. And I say, Well, somebody's selling you something, because if they're selling you something on TV, they're almost certainly lying. They go, No, 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 it's too, this is too good to be true. And I said, You're right, it's, it's got to be too good to be true. And they go, No, really, really, Daddy, for twenty nine ninety five, just three easy payments, this thing is going to change our family's life. You've got to come see it. And I'm trying to convince them somebody's lying to you. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Oh, oh, with one possible exception, and that is the greatest thing in the universe, eternal life. Oh, yeah, there is an exception to this rule, that there's no such thing as a free lunch, and that is that you can have life that lasts forever, and it costs you nothing. It's quite a notable exception. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And what grace means is that God loves you when you don't deserve it. And God loves you so much, he doesn't say, first clean up your act and then come to me. He says, first, just know that you're thirsty. You can't clean up your act adequately to come to me. So just acknowledge you need me. I love you unconditionally, knowing everything about you. And I choose you, that's grace. By grace you have been saved or rescued through faith. Just faith. Faith and faith alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. Not faith plus your works, just faith in Christ and in him and his finished work. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Lest you miss the point, it's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. That word for gift is the word dorea, which means gift. In Greek and in English, it means something that you cannot purchase. You don't give payment for it. It's just a gift. There are no strings attached on the front end. There are no strings attached on the back end. It is absolutely a free gift. Very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, God says this. Revelation chapter 21. Then God said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life, and I'm going to give it to him without cost. No cost. Okay, no cost to you whatsoever. Now, there's another sense, though, in which this statement, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, is always true. Okay, this gift of water, this gift of life, eternal life, is absolutely free to us, but it is not free to God, it was costly. God. The point is this. We don't bear the cost. The recipient doesn't bear the cost. The giver chose to bear the cost. Turn back with me to chapter 53 and verse 5. But he that is our Messiah, Jesus, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or the discipline for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, or as we saw last week, literally to attack him. It's not that the gift is cost-free. It's that we, as the recipients, don't have to bear the cost. Because God has made himself the bearer. Of the cost. He put all of the cost on his son Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter one, Peter puts it like this. He says, Knowing that you were not redeemed or purchased, purchased from death, purchased from slavery to sin and death, with perishable things like silver or gold, that currency didn't work. From your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, instead you were purchased with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. Free to us, but costly to God. Uh, let me illustrate. Now, you're probably aware of the fact that um, governments are experiencing budgetary shortfalls everywhere, nationally, state, local. Uh, so in some states and some municipalities, they're trying new strategies to fill up their coffers, okay? get closer to reaching the budget. In uh, California, they're writing more tickets, and their tickets are more expensive for traffic violations. Uh, in one city in L.A., there's an intersection, and at that intersection alone, just that intersection. Last year, the city drew in $1.5 million from one intersection. If you run a red light at that intersection, it's $476 okay, just for running one red light. Can you imagine? Not that any of us ever run a red light, especially me, right? But imagine you go through and you run that red light, you get pulled over. Here's your ticket, 476 bucks. Wow. Now imagine if the officer says, here's your ticket. You ran it. I've got you on camera and here's $500, to pay your ticket. Oh, and I'm going to write you a check as well because your insurance rates are going to go up. I'll cover that as well. And defensive driving, I got that covered. I'll actually go and attend in your place. So any cost that you might have borne, I have covered. Couldn't happen, could it? Because in this world, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, right? In the real world, it's not going to happen. But in the spiritual world, that's exactly what happens. God writes us a ticket, and the ticket is our debt for sin, and the wages of sin is death, it's eternal separation. And God says, let me have that, and let me pay that for you. And all the consequences that go along with that, I will pay for you. God himself bears the cost. Now, if this message is new to you, you may be saying to yourself, this is just too good to be true. Because this is not the way that the world works, right? Right? Matter of fact, if you look at all of the religions of the world, they're based on the principle that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, right? They're based upon the principle that, yes, God may be personal in some religions, and he may want a relationship with you in some religions, but you got to meet God halfway. It's a 50-50 proposition. God helps those who help themselves, right? Is that biblical? (laughs) No. Or maybe God will come 90% of the way, but if you don't pull your 10%, then God's going to remove that relationship from you. Or if you don't pull your 10%, God's going to say to you, well, you really weren't worthy of that relationship in the first place. You never had it. But genuine biblical Christianity says, no, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but Jesus and Jesus alone, he's the one who washed it white as snow. The debt has been paid. It's been fully paid. In other words, free means free. When God gives a gift, it is an absolutely free gift. There are no strings attached. You can't clean up your life enough to be acceptable to God. And you can't change your life apart from the power of God residing in you through his spirit. And will you fail? Yes. And God knew that you would fail even after you had believed. And he paid for all of those sins as well. What guarantees you eternal life is the fact that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ. And when he hung on the cross, he said, in his final words, it is finished. We don't add anything to the sacrifice of Christ. It is finished in Christ. And we know that it is finished and that God accepted that sacrifice because he raised Christ from the dead. The reason that we are worshiping this morning in the, the focus of our attention is the resurrection. And the meaning of the resurrection is this. God said, I accept that sacrifice as full and final payment. That's why I raised my son from the dead. And I raised him from the dead, demonstrating that I have the power to conquer sin and the power to conquer death. And if you believe in him, you have the absolute guarantee that you will have eternal life. And the guarantee is that Christ rose from the dead. So Paul will tell us, if the dead aren't raised... Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The resurrection is the center of our faith. It's the most fundamental point of our faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I delivered to you as of absolute first importance this, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was a substitute payment for us, that he was buried, but he didn't remain buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the Bible never says that Jesus raised himself. It always says, God raised Jesus. As a demonstration of the fact that he accepted the sacrifice of Christ. God raised his son. Hard to believe. I think God expected that it would be difficult for us to accept. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is not a plan or program that you could conceive. You don't think like this. You don't give like this. But this is how I give life. So one final question that I want you to think about this morning as we leave is this. Why would you say no? Why would you say no? Chapter 55, verse 2. The Lord says, Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Why do you spend all of your time and your energy, all of your resources for what cannot bring you satisfaction in life? Nothing but a personal relationship with me through my son and savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that gives life and life abundant. Ralph Barton was uh, a cartoonist, at the beginning of the 20th century, one of the top cartoonists made good money, was very famous. Uh, he spent his life making other people laugh. At the end of his life, he wrote this, I've had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife, house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I'm fed up with inventing de- devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. Or as Isaiah says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance you will never receive a better offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this resurrection morning where we celebrate the historical fact that you raised your son from the dead, I pray, Father, for all who have never received this wonderful gift. I pray, Father, this morning that they would simply believe. They come with empty hands to you and say, God, thank you for giving me life in your son. For those of you who might make that decision this morning, or maybe it will come to you this week, the moment you make that decision, God removes the debt of your sin entirely, and then his spirit takes up residence inside of you. And he begins the process of progressively transforming your character and making you more like Christ and bringing you the hope of a life that is rich and abundant now and a life that will last forever. So I encourage you, if you've never made that decision, to do so this morning. For those of you who know Jesus Christ, my prayer for you is that um, this morning you would just be filled with a fresh sense of gratitude to God for Christ and that you would share that gift. Father, I pray that you would um, fill us with gratitude. I pray that you'd empower us with boldness and confidence because of the wonderful gift that we've received in Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. He is risen. risen
0: All right, have a great Easter day. We'll see you next week.